welcome to Speaking of College. Welcome, it's your source for reliable knowledge. Oh yeah, we got Dr. P as your host. As your host, we gon' tell you what you need to know. Need to know. Need to know. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you grow. The more you know, the more you grow. Grow. Get more knowledge. Knowledge. Welcome to Speaking of College. Speaking of College. Yeah. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and today's episode is about college jobs. Research suggests that many college students will work at some point while they are completing a college degree or credential. The types of jobs that are available to students can vary from working on campus to internships and other off-campus opportunities. I knew we'd need an expert to describe the benefits and challenges of working while in school, and I'm excited for you to hear the conversation I had with my friend, Dr. Pamela Payne. Nearly three years ago, I met Pamela during a visit to Moraine Valley Community College, where Pamela is leading the college's Job Resource Center. Pamela gave me and two colleagues a really fun and close-up view of how on-campus jobs can be so rewarding and special. I'm happy that I reconnected with Pamela for this conversation because just as she was so thoughtful then, you'll quickly hear how much she is committed to helping students make the most of their college experience. During the break, I'll tell you about the difference between two main types of student loans, and I'll close this episode with a question about studying abroad. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and today's episode is about college jobs. Research at the Georgetown Center on Education and the Workforce suggests that over the last 25 years, more than 70% of college students have been working while enrolled. So this is a good time to talk about some of the benefits and challenges of working in college, and I am happy to have Dr. Pamela Payne as my guest to talk with me today. Dr. Payne is a thought leader in career and workforce development, leadership, and experiential learning. She is the sole proprietor of a consulting service that brings partnerships across industry, community, and higher education arenas to upskill the workforce, develop leaders, and increase and sustain diversity in the workplace. Dr. Payne provides visionary leadership for the Job Resource Center at Moraine Valley Community College in Palos Hills, Illinois. The award-winning center connects students and alumni to job and experiential learning opportunities and strengthens connections between academia, the community, and employers to close the skills gap and create a pathway to economic success. Pamela holds a doctorate of education in ethical leadership from Olivet Nazarene University. She has a Master of Science degree in counseling and education from the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater and a Bachelor of Science degree in agriculture with an emphasis in construction administration from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Dr. Payne is a member of several professional organizations, including the National Society for Experiential Education, the National Student Employment Association, the Midwest Association of Student Employment Administrators, the Society for Human Resource Management, the National Association of Colleges and Employers, and the National Career Development Association. Needless to say, Pamela is an expert on college jobs, and we have a lot to talk about. Pamela, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. So let's start off about this uh, attire that we have on. So I am wearing an apron from the JRC at Moraine Valley Community College. I picked this up when I got the pleasure of visiting in person and had the best time learning about on-campus jobs. And you gave one of the best tours and a whole day spent with some really lovely students. And I will never forget it. So I knew I wanted to invite you on the show. I see you wearing a Wisconsin shirt. Tell me more about that. 
So my undergrad is at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Go Badgers. So I'm rocking my Wisconsin shirt today. Okay, perfect. So that's a perfect lead in to my first question for you, which is that if we think about when we first got our start and made that first decision to go to college, it always takes me back to that first day, first year, first semester, first quarter. If you think back to that time when you chose Wisconsin-Madison, what were some of the factors that influenced your decision to choose to go there? You know what? It was my mom. Um, I come from a GM family. I'm really, I'm originally from Michigan. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I was nine, my mom remarried and we moved to Milwaukee. And so her job at GM uh, transferred to the GM in that area. And she was in accounting and the comptroller would, you know how people ask like, well, you know, how's your, how's your children doing? How's your daughter doing? How's she doing in math and science? And, uh-huh. and, and so she would be like, oh, she's doing great. She's getting A's and, you know, everything. Unbeknownst to us that he was really trying to recruit me through my mom for um, uh, GM has a, had a school called GMI for um, engineers in Flint, Michigan. And it was like a co-op. So you would, you would, uh, you would go to school for six months and then you would do the work for six months. Mm-hmm. And um, so he told her, you know, you, you should get your daughter in engineering. And um, he introduced her to some people and he told her about this program called the Minority Engineering Program at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And it was a summer eight-week program for high schoolers to learn about the disciplines of engineering. And so the my senior year after I graduated my mom shipped me off to Madison <laughs> it was it was like shipping me off to Siberia yeah and although it was only 90 minutes from Milwaukee mm-hmm. um it seemed like a lifetime but um I was in that program for those eight weeks and met some tremendous people learned about all these disciplines that I never knew about um people from all over the country you know um young people of color it was just so awesome and so I ended up uh, applying, getting in, and that's how I ended up at Madison. Yeah. I always ask that first question because I think everybody's journey into college is a kind of different story. It tells a lot about our own journey of how we got to where we are. So to see where you are today and to, and to trail it all the way back to that beginning story, I like that question. Thank you for that, for that answer. Okay, so we're going to start off with the basics. So knowing that this whole episode is about college jobs, I know there may be somebody listening who thinks, okay, that, that's federal work study, or that's a job on campus, or that's a job like an internship. And so I want to tease out some of the nuance of some of those things. So let's start with on-campus jobs. I met you at the Job Resource Center at Moraine Valley Community College, and I know that that connects you and students to lots of positions on campus. So can you tell us about some of the different types of jobs that a student could have when they're on a campus? You know, primarily they can have lots of jobs on campus and actually in where I work, excuse me, there are three types of jobs that typically students have. They're clerical, um, like front desk, you know, office, that kind of job, or their lab where they're actually working, like even either in a biology lab or chemistry lab, or because we're community college, we have um, career programs like, um, welding and automotive and and um hvac so those are also labs also and then there's also tutoring positions and then there are other positions that are kind of uh hybrids or different like at the fit rec they could be a um a person that helps train or 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 provides equipment or things like that or they can work in the uh, children's center 
with the student, with the children and mm -hmm. things like that. So those are the primary three kinds of positions that are on campus. Very cool. I think I remember seeing almost all of those when I came to visit. So let's connect this to something classroom based. So I know that in this section, I want to make the case that working on campus can provide some benefits. And one of those, of course, is probably going to be financial if they get paid. But another one might be their connection to what they're learning in the classroom. What are some of the things that you think students who are having a job on campus can connect to their actual classroom experience? You know, there's so many things that they can actually connect to. Um, a lot of a lot of them, you know, it's kind of symbiotic, I think, in the terms that, you know, they learn a little bit from class, and they can apply it to, to, to work, they learn a little bit from work, and they can apply it to class. Um, but a lot of the, the, you know, the soft skills like communication, critical thinking, um, you know, using technology, PowerPoint, Excel, um, you know, uh, customer service skills, mm -hmm. um, being showing up on time, making sure that the work that they're doing is accurate, taking pride in their work, having a good attitude, um, diversity inclusion they serve people from all over you know not just students but anyone who may walk in depending on the kinds of positions they have mm -hmm. um so there's a lot of skill sets that they learn at work um that also helps them in the classroom teamwork you know um solving conflicts you oh, know sure. sometimes there are conflicts that happen at their job and they have to learn how to navigate through those things and those are some of the same things that they have to learn in the classroom and vice versa so i think that you know just a lot of the skill sets that employers talk about that they're looking for are a lot of the same skill sets that they you know these are jobs um, they're student jobs, but they are jobs and they're held to the same standard that I as an employer is, is, am held to. They have to take a confidentiality, um, they have to sign an agreement, they have to act professionally, they have to show up well-groomed and not ready roll, mm -hmm. like they just rolled out of bed. Um, <laughs> ready roll. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I know, I know. <laughs> So those are, I would say that um, those are a lot of things that they learn when they are leadership skills, taking the initiative. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that I think connects them with the classroom. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think if I had to do all over again, there are several things I would consider. And I think having an on-campus job is absolutely one of them. I think for students who are trying to navigate this decision to work while in college might see the other side of the coin and decide that they don't want to work necessarily on campus, that they might do that uh, later and at some point consider a job off campus. And so I've heard and read and we've seen examples of where employers from the outside industry will come to a community college or a university and say, we would like to recruit, you know, and have one of your students come and work here. In another case, you might have the student who decides to go into retail and maybe they find that job on their own. What are some of the main differences between working on a campus and off campus, aside from the actual location that students should keep in mind? Right. I think that there, there are several main differences. One of them is, well, I'll start with this. So our office, um, I'm a data girl. So I, I want to know, like, is it working? How do we know it's working? Not just because, mm -hmm. you know, of, you know, somebody said, oh, this is good, but what is the actual data saying? So what we started doing the last 10 years, we've been tracking um, student um, GPA um, and retention rates and completion rates for student employees and comparing them to the overall student body. 
Okay. So one of the things that you need to know about the particular college that I work at um, is that probably about 80 to 90% of the students that come to our college already work. So when you look at that compared to the students who are working on campus, um, although I haven't done a, um, a scientific study, but I will say that there is something about that because the GPA is about 3.2 something for the student employees, whereas the overall student body's GPA is like 2.77 or something like that average. The retention rate of student employees are, is about 95%, whereas the overall student body is about 70 something. Mm -hmm. So what it says to me is that there is something that is happening in that process when you take into consideration that the majority of the student body works. So there's something in that process that's happening that is different from an off-campus position. I believe that our secret sauce are our supervisors. Yeah. That our supervisors take on this mentoring kind of coaching um, mm -hmm. relationship with these students and they're invested in them. They, you know, the, the students, um, you know, become like family members in a lot of ways. They're, we're watching out for their best interest. You know, if we start seeing them slip up in their grades because they also have to maintain at least a 2.0. So that's one of the things that, um, that I think is, there's some restrictions around that because the, the main thing is they need to put you know, school first. Absolutely. And we don't want them to, you know, I always say, if you, you, know, if you don't get your, your grades done, you don't need a job, you need a tutor. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So we need that's to true. help make sure that that happens. So I would say that um, it, it's the mentoring and, and for our supervisors, we have a like an orientation for them every year, mm -hmm. so it's it's part of the process. I don't like to use the word mandatory, but it's a required part yeah. to help them to um, to help them to better um, supervise the students and to coach them and and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. I think it's about the relationship. And though we don't have a scientific study before us, I think we both have enough years in the field to know that there's ample literature that suggests that the more connected student is the one that's more likely to stay enrolled and complete you know, their credentials. So I think, first of all, congratulations on such a high retention rate in these times. So let me just start there. Second, I would say it's about the connection to the campus and everything that you described is a connection. You know, To have someone that you can go to and ask questions or the flexibility, the flexibility of your schedule. So to say, I have a test today, could I change my work hours, that type of stuff that you might not always get that kind of flexibility in an off campus job. So I know there may be some, some differences in terms of pay amount, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes the pay scale can be, you know, very similar. So thank you for affirming what I think many people didn't know, which is that to choose first on campus provides so many benefits. And so uh, my next, my next question is probably the other side of the story. And so we've certainly talked about the many benefits. It provides a financial incentive. It provides a you know, connection to the campus. You pick up skill sets that are evergreen and can transcend just being physically present in a job, but also in the, in the, the classroom and otherwise um, places that you're engaged. But let's be realistic here and talk about some of the challenges. As you talk with so many students who are working either on campus or off campus, what are some of the things that might be difficult for them to manage both working and being in college at the same time? You know, um, time, you know, students come into the, the, you know, 
they come into this thinking, you know, I got this, I can handle this, you know. And so they underestimate the amount of time that it's going to take for them to have it um, and uh, and to to do it very well. You know, like they think, okay, well, I can, you know, if they're working off campus and some students work off campus and on campus, we restrict how many hours they can work on campus. But if they're working off campus, they can work up to 40 hours or however many. And so they really think, well, you know, this is not going to be that bad, but I really would say it's time. And you know what, in full disclosure, when I went back to get my doctorate, I was doing two cable shows. I was teaching a class. I was working full time. And I was like, I got this until, <laughs> until my arm went out through, through for stress. Oh <laughs> my I, was like, I don't have this. <laughs> I don't got this. And so I, you know, I always tell my students that even I teach, I was like, you know, my grandmother used to say, you don't think fat meat is greasy. <laughs> looking at me like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't think water is wet. It means if you don't believe what I'm saying. Right. It's true. And that's the, that's the key. They, they don't, you have to make room for school. Mm -hmm. You can't just pile it on and think that it's going to be okay. You have to make room for it. Yeah. Now, see, I'm about to ask you if you have some relatives from the South, because I've heard Absolutely. both of those, I've, both of those. Okay. I've heard both of those sayings. I think, uh, Plus one to everything that you said. And it just reminded me of, of my graduate school study uh, the second time for my doc work. I had this decision that I made to work and go to school at the same time. And I worked uh, almost full time. Actually, I did work full time and was in school, you know, and it was definitely a challenge. And time was probably the number one factor there. But I can also say that at that age, I had gone through two prior degrees. And so I kind of knew time management. Can't say that I had it down completely, but it was different from being, you know, a, a traditionally aged uh, college student so I can only imagine what that time constraint might be. But it's a nice segue of where we're going to go after the break. And so at the break, we're going to hear a little bit more information about something that uh, listeners might not know about. But when we come back, I'm going to put you in the Ask the Expert chair and get your advice for how students can balance school and work. Do you know the difference between subsidized and unsubsidized student loans? These are two types of loans that are offered by the U.S. Department of Education as a low interest option to help students cover their college costs. Subsidized loans are available to undergraduate students who have financial need. If you have a subsidized loan and you are enrolled in school for at least half time, the U.S. Department of Education will pay the interest on that loan. Also, for subsidized loans, the Department of Education will cover your interest for the first six months after you leave school in what is referred to as a grace period. Unsubsidized loans are available to undergraduate and graduate students, and unlike subsidized loans, there is not a requirement to have financial need. The other difference with the unsubsidized loan is that you are responsible for paying the interest. Now, you can choose to not make payments on the unsubsidized loan while you are in college, but just remember that the interest will still accumulate. If you currently have student loans and want to know more about how to manage them, contact your college's Office of Financial Aid. Now you know. All right, so welcome back. Pamela, are you ready for the Ask the Expert set of questions? 
Yes, I am. I'm ready. All right. So the first one is a bit of a softball. Let's say somebody's listening and they've not yet decided to work uh, while they're in school, but they're thinking they probably need to or that they want to. Uh, For those who are listening and have decided they're going to make that choice, where can they get started? What's the best first step? You know, I think the best first step is um, to go to the career service office. You know, people always say, you know, uh, even the career service professionals say, well, we're the best kept secret. And I always say, but I don't want to be the best kept secret. <laughs> I want people, you know, I want people to know that we are here for them. And usually it's the last resort. When I was a career counselor at the university, at my alma mater, I went back years later and I worked there. That was my first career job. I would say that's my redemption job, being in career services. <laughs> but around, like right before Thanksgiving, like the day before people would go home for Thanksgiving, we get all these appointments. Mm. And the reason being is because people were like, they knew that Aunt Myrtle was going to ask them, <laughs> cross from the turkey, you know, what you going to do with that history major? You know, <laughs> so they would come see us to find out what they can, so they can have an answer. So my point is, other than having an answer at the, you know, the Christmas table and the turkey table that, um, you know, what you can do with a major is, you know, go to the career service office because number one, they know, uh, they know everything about helping you to market yourself, getting ready for the interview. There's a lot of prep that needs to happen. I mean, you know, you're trying to market a product that you don't even know about. You know, so you need some some expert advice on how to do that. How to do that? What's the purpose of a cover letter? A lot of people don't know the purpose of a color, cover letter. And if you don't know the purpose of a thing, then you won't use it in the way that it's meant to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you write resumes towards a particular industry? It shouldn't be just cookie cutter. You know, you should have different varieties of resumes and things like that. You know, um, the other thing is internships. I am a big person for internships. I think that internships, you know, people often take internships based on like what they, they like and what they want to know. But when I did my internship, it taught me what I didn't want to do, which was Mm. so, so much of a gift and it saved me so much time. So internships are extremely important, especially now um, because a lot of employers are trying to grow their own. You know, they can, they can teach you content, you know, but, you know, some of those soft skills and things like that, when we talked about student employment, you know, are very important. And so the other reason why you want to go to the career service office, because employers show up in my office all the time saying, I want your best and your brightest. I want to know, I want to connect with your students. And if you are on the minds of the counselor or the, or the person in the career service office, you're going to get the first dibs on the good jobs or the good opportunities. So it is so important to connect with those individuals and let them you know, hear from you, know that you're interested because they're being pulled on all the time. You know, they, they get access to all these different kinds of opportunities and you want your face to show up in their minds when they're thinking about somebody to connect with. So to me, that would be one of the best reasons. Pamela, you are dropping gems. Now, see, you, you already led into my next question. I was going to ask you kind of what are some of the things that more students should know about career services, but I think you've mentioned several of them. So if someone's listening and they're like, okay, you convinced me, I, I got to go to the career services office. How do they typically do that? Is it something that they take walk-ins or did you write somebody and make an appointment? How does it work? You know, all of the above. And now we are, we, we do have face-to-face um, uh uh, appointments, but we also have virtual appointments. We can connect with you on on 
um, through Zoom or through WebEx or, you know, we, we can connect with you over the phone, via email. You know, we'll connect with you whatever way that, you know, you, you're, you're available. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and most, mostly all my uh, colleagues in the career service field have those opportunities. They have virtual appointments and, and, you know, some, depending on where they are, may have some walk-in appointments, mm -hmm. but we will connect with you over the phone or you just give us a call. Um, your career service office, you know, you just call them, email. Usually they have their, the career service email address. You can connect with them that way. We also um, have Facebook. We're on uh, Twitter. Um, and there's one other one that I'm forgetting about, but those are the main two. <laughs> So Pamela, it sounds like basically you all are everywhere, everywhere students right. need to be. Because like, we're not trying to be the best kept secret. <laughs> no. We want to be out. You want to be out there. You want everybody to know. So you've, you've touched on something really important considering the current state we're in now and a lot of things happening virtually. Uh, what advice can you give for students who are trying to build their brand or, or build their image or their portfolio of experiences in a virtual environment where they may not have the, the luxury right now of actually meeting with you or someone in person or a potential em employer in person? What are some of the things they can do to maximize their virtual environment? Well, I think that... Um, First of all, I think that it is very important, you know, to understand how you, a brand is how you want to market yourself in this particular arena. How I would market myself in, if I was just dealing with college students would be very different from if I was looking for a job. So just understand your audience, which is really important. And if you have so when you're looking for a position and things like that, you, you really need to pay attention to your social media branding that's already out there. Um, not to say that you can't have a life and you can't have fun, but perhaps you want to create two separate ones and make sure that your more fun one become a little more private. I see. Uh, I see. And then allow your more public one to become a little more professional. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that, would, that would be what I would say. And then also realize that in this environment, you still, even more so because... In a virtual environment, people tend to be more casual, um, you know, but you, you want to remember that it's still about getting this job and making a connection. And a lot of the people that are in HR, you know, still have this, um, I don't want to say old school, but more of a traditional kind of perspective. Mm -hmm. So they're fumbling around trying to deal, you know, trying to figure out how this virtual thing is working out themselves and, and some of them are having a struggle with that and so you need to understand that although the people that you're hanging with understand how to you know use all this technology and do all these things and are very casual that may not be the same kind of um, perspective or disposition that the, the HR person will have. They might be more of a traditionalist and more formal. And so just keep that in mind when you are creating your virtual brand. And I believe that career service offices, even though some are better than others, but they're still, you know, getting up to speed, but they can help you understand what that, that, that perspective should look like. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I think I got a follow up. In, in that sense, it sounds like career services can be an excellent coach uh, for how to how to navigate the virtual environment. Do they do very specific trainings on things like how to actually use Zoom or one of the other platforms, as well as how to you know decorate your space so that what you see on the other side of the screen is, does it get to that level of granularity or like what are the types of things do they help students do in a virtual environment to navigate it well? I think that all of the above, I mean, we had to, um, not only do we help our students, you know, but we had to help our employers um, mm. because we, um, we did like our mock interview day um, virtually. And so we had a training session with employers on how to use this, the, the, um, the platform that we were using. Um, so yeah, I mean, we had to learn it just like a, a lot of other people had to learn it. And so, yes, I, yes, we can help you do that. Career services offices can help you do that. Pamela, I think that's like a slogan. It should go on like a sign for you know, career services can help you, can help you do that. Other than the fact that it should not be the best kept secret. So, all right. So I, I think in this case, if I'm listening to this show and I'm a student, I think I need to be finding the career services office and talking about my next opportunity. So before we get to the, the last question, uh, I got a next to last question for you. And this is definitely coming up from your area of expertise and having worked with so many students and counseled, uh, counseling so many students who've successfully gotten a job and probably navigated their way into a professional path that they really enjoy. So for those who have done that well, thinking about what you said earlier in the, in the show about the biggest constraint being time, what have you seen the students who've been able to navigate the balance of work and school well what do they do? What are some of the things that they do specifically that help them navigate that working student identity and do it in a way that helps them reach their goals? You know, there are, um, there are, there are, there are a lot of similarities. Um, like you, like you said, time, but also they are not afraid to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they will reach out and, and utilize the resources on campus, you know, not just career services, but tutoring, um, counseling. Um, our counseling department is not, you know, it's not about, oh, you're, you know, you're crazy, so you need to see a counselor. No, this is so you don't go crazy. <laughs> or if you have like test anxiety sure. or, you know, or different things like, you know, there's stressors, how to deal with stress, mm -hmm. you know, going to see your academic advisor to help make sure you're on track, going to see your faculty members. I was listening to one of your previous podcasts and, and they were talking about, you know, making sure that you go to the office hours. That is yeah. so true. And I would also say that they have um, a supportive network of, of different individuals. It's kind of like their crew that has their back. And, and, the, and the crew is made up of maybe some friends that, or their peers that motivate them. The crew is also made up of some kind of academic, you know, professional. The crew could be made up of like, um, um, you know, like a, a, um, a mentor or something like that. The, the, clue, the crew looks different and it, and it becomes this, this uh, wraparound kind of support for people to really help them to go to the next level. And, it, and the crew doesn't always look this at like you. Mm -hmm. You know, you pick the crew based on who's invested in your success. And those are the kinds of people I've seen be very successful. Yeah, that, that has so much in it, Pamela. I mean, so, so many nuggets of advice. I, I think it's the perfect 
last question for the ask the expert section uh i would love to say to some student um pick your crew i could hear them saying how do i pick a crew um but i would say probably i hope you would agree you know look around you and to your point those who've invested in you um that definitely will give you an indicator of, of, of where to go next so you've touched on so much, you know, the, the importance of having an academic connection to a professor and all those things. So I think that does help them balance school and work. And I think it's important to keep that dual part of the identity. I think um, to be a, a working student is very much part work, but also part, you know, academics and classroom and co-curricular stuff as well. So thank you for these pieces of expertise. I have to wrap up the show with the same closing question. So we started off at the University of uh, Wisconsin-Madison and your story about how you chose to go there. Let's think 2021. And if you were to be preparing a backpack for a student who is going to start there, let's say in the next six months, what's something that you would put in that backpack and why? Well, um, what helped me to get through the University of Wisconsin-Madison and my other two degrees was, was scripture. That's what I would put in the backpack. Um, there's three scriptures. One, and I always tell like students I know that are, are getting ready to go to college. Um, and one is Psalms 119 and 99. And it says, I will give you better understanding and deeper insights than all of your teachers. So I needed that. And yeah. then the other one was Romans 8 and 28. Mm. The Amplified version says that, you know, you and God are partners in this labor and that he will make it good for you and to you. And then the other one is Philippians, Philippians 2 and 20, I think it's 2 and 13, that says he will give you both the will and the do. Because sometimes I had the will and I didn't have the do. And sometimes I had the do and I didn't have the will. And sometimes I didn't have neither. So I need some three scriptures. <laughs> And I'm, I'm sure that there's a whole bunch of other stuff I could have said, but I'm going to tell you, those were the, that's what I would give them in their backpack. When you use all those other things, sometimes you need that supernatural just to help you yeah. push you over the edge. So th that's what I would give them. Pamela, every time I ask this question, I, I say the same thing. I want that backpack. I do. I, if that were me, I want that backpack. I recognize uh, Romans 8, 28. I didn't know that the two, you know, as, as naturally as you did. So I'm taking these scriptures. I'm going, I'm going to read those myself. This has been fantastic. So I think if I were to close the show and uh, leave it on a, on a theme that's kind of throughout all of your answers, it is something about being proactive and uh, the idea that career services is there for you, but you got to seek out, you know, help and that employers are coming, but you got to be prepared and you got to you know make preparations for how you want to display your skills and abilities in, in a virtual setting or an in-person setting. I think that the crew um, being proactive about who's around you and who's providing support is another good thing. And I have to say, I'm happy that I was proactive in reaching out to you to be on this show. I did not know when we met a couple years ago and I got a chance to visit that we would be connected this way, but I'm so glad that we did. So I, I have to say thank you very much. And as we talk about the future of work and the future of jobs and the impact of college on individuals who go because they're looking to get a job, I think this is one of the most timely conversations. So thank you very much for your insight, your perspective, and your advice. When you are not on this show uh, and you're at Moraine Valley Community College and people want to follow some of your work, are, are there any shameless plugs you want to give me that I can put in the show notes about how to follow your work or follow the center or anything like that that you want to mention? Sure. Um, well, you can, you know, Moraine Valley, uh, um, moraineValley.edu forward slash JRC is our website. Um, you can 
reach us at JRC at Moraine Valley um, dot edu. Um, and you can reach me if you want to at pain, P A Y N E P six at Moraine Valley dot edu. All right. Now, Pamela, I didn't ask you to put the email address in there, but I'm just saying, you know, with all these gems you're dropping, people may reach out to you and want to have some personalized advice, even those who aren't enrolled there. So I really, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you too. Thank you so much. This is a great work. All right. It's time to ask Dr. P, ask Dr. P, ask Dr. P, get the S's that you need. Today's question is from Molly in New York. Molly writes, Dear Dr. P, what are the pros and cons of studying abroad? This is a really good question, Molly, and I'll frame my response as general things for you to consider because the pros and cons will likely vary by person. I really like this question because on a personal note, when I was in my third year of college, I turned down an opportunity to visit Cuba for a week of studying and seeing the country. Now, while I'm tempted to say I regret not going, I'll just say I learned a lot about why that opportunity would have been special. The first thing to consider is the time length of the study abroad experience. Not all study abroad opportunities will be for the same amount of time. For example, you may be able to visit another country for two weeks and it not disrupt your academic plans and schedule much at all. Another option might be to spend a semester or a year abroad, which might require you to think a bit more about how that experience will keep you on the path towards your primary college goals. That leads to my second consideration, which is the primary features of the study abroad experience. Try to think about the kinds of activities that you would most enjoy. For example, if the study abroad program will include lots of time to learn new things both in a classroom setting and in various parts of the city, you might find that to be very valuable. The third thing is related to the cost of the experience. It will be important for you to know about any costs or additional fees that you'll need to pay while you are abroad. I would also suggest creating a lifestyle budget and including items such as sightseeing and visiting other nearby countries if you have an opportunity to do so. Speaking of costs, my last suggestion is that you do some research on the country's currency, primary languages spoken, and climate, because those things could impact how quickly you adjust and begin to enjoy all that the experience has to offer. I'd also suggest you try to find a student who has visited the country before and maybe completed a study abroad program there. They can share some of their experiences and maybe answer your questions about what to expect. So Molly, if you're considering a study abroad experience, I think these four things will help you make your best decision. If you do make the trip, I hope you have a fabulous time. Thanks again for a great question. If you're listening to this show and you have a question about college, you can write me at amelia at speakingofcollege.com and I'd be glad to answer and maybe feature your question on a future episode. For now, that brings this episode to a close. As you think about how your college experience can help you gain the knowledge, skills, and abilities to pursue your goals, I hope this discussion of college jobs will spark your interest in how you can pick up valuable experiences while you learn. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing to the show and I'll be back with you and speaking of college again soon. In the meantime, I hope you have an inspiring day.